Thank you so much. It's so good to see all of you. And uh, along with those of you in Brown Chapel, those that are with us online, you are just as much and just as valuable a part of this congregation. And uh, it's just great when the whole Christian Life family is able to come together. I want to remind you that uh, we're bringing our Fight the Good Fight series of messages uh, to a close. We've got just a few more as we move into the holidays. And I really feel that next year is going to be one of the most significant years we've had. I'll talk about the hows and so forth later. But as uh, our theme for the year, not every message will be that, of course, but our theme for the year is the, the concept of fullness, fullness of Jesus Christ and what that looks like in our lives. Um, we, uh, uh, we're thankful for what God has enabled us to do. In the coming weeks, we're going to be talking to you more about the new property. We're going to be talking... <clears throat> more about the direction that the Lord has given us. Um, but we're going we're gonna to finish this year strong. And I want to talk to you today about, uh, about Antichrist. Now, he's not one we want to glorify or honor. I've said in the first service, I said, let's say the Lord's Prayer together as we prepare our hearts for Antichrist. I meant for the message on Antichrist, not for Antichrist. <laughs> And I think that would be a good thing for us to do today. Let me say this, um, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, the first Wednesday in October, uh, I begin a Wednesday night series that'll take us through the end of the year. Um, and I think into, Feb uh, into January too, I think it goes into January, but I'm not sure. Um, but uh, you've received a notice about that and it has to do with uh, the prophetic language of God, dreams and visions and things like that. But I also, that first Wednesday night, I want to talk to you about uh, some long emergency preparation, living prepared. I think it's time for an update for us. So that will be the first Wednesday night in October. But right now, let's pray together as our custom is, the Lord's Prayer. Let's look to the screen and let's say our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever Amen. And Father, we do thank you that you are our mighty, all-powerful God. You are our provider. You are our pardon. You are our protector. And as we pray the Lord's Prayer today, we look to you uh, for a covering in all of our life. We're asking you for revelation today. Ask that when we leave this place, we will be blessed of the Lord when we turn the television or computer off, we will know that we've been in your presence and uh, bless our activities tonight, our small groups, our prayer meeting. May the name of the Lord be honored. And Father, we ask you to give Pastor Justin a very, very happy birthday today. Bless him, Lord. Keep your hand on us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. Yeah, give him a hand. That's good. Need to do it loud. He's getting older. He can't hear it as well as he. So many voices today. We have become a digital, audible, visual um, society, more so than any generation before us, by a long shot. Um, that's why it's more and more important for us to remember the passage of Scripture that Jesus said was not only fact, but He said it prophetically over us that my sheep know my voice. Now understand, that wasn't just Jesus saying, if you're my sheep, you know my voice. That was Jesus making a pronouncement. Everyone who is my sheep, part of my family, they will hear my voice. And it'll become more and more clear and more and more dynamic. <clears throat> I was thinking the other day of um, something I heard. I, I think it was Adrian Rogers. I can't remember. It was years ago. He talked about being on a plane or, or he was telling the story of a pastor being on a plane and the the takeoff was rough, the, the, uh, the, the orientation to get to the right altitude was rough. Nothing was going as it ought to go. It was one of those you pull out the six sack just in case. And he said this pastor was seated next to a little girl that was just giggling incessantly and loved every minute of it. And he, he was concerned, you know, some people when they're about to panic, they just, they start giggling, you know. And he said, uh, sweetheart, he said, I want you to know I fly all the time. Everything's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. And she said, oh, I'm not worried. She said, everything's going to be fine. And then he thought, well, maybe she's from a, a family that tells her to be real optimistic. And he, he said, I just want you to know everything's fine. And she said, I know it's fine. And he said, how do you know? Oh, she, he said, if, so do you fly a lot? She said, I've never flown before. He said, then how do you know everything's fine? She said, because my daddy is the pilot. This is the first trip my daddy's taking me on and he's flying the plane and I get to ride. And that pastor, uh, you know, God's man of faith and power sat back and said, if you knew everything I know, you wouldn't be smiling so much right now. You know, this plane's not supposed to do this. It reminded me of the first time my son Jeremy went flying with me on a trip, or, or the first time he was old enough to remember it. I'd taken him as a baby before, but he was like a five-year-old kindergarten, and he was going with me flying from Florida to Indiana, and uh, it was a direct flight, but it was on a direct flight. Let me, let me give you a clue. When you get on a plane, and you see them counting, and they ask people of a certain weight to shift over to the other side of the plane, or they take your briefcase and move it to the other side of the overhead bin. Let me tell you something, you are in a plane that is small. You are in a plane that has issues, you know, and we were in one of those planes and we took off and it was not a good takeoff. It was not a good um, uh, ascension up to our flight. And Jeremy was like that little girl. He just loved it. He just loved it, loved it, loved it. And I was reminded of that story. I said, well, buddy, I, if you knew the plane wasn't supposed to do it, he thought they were doing it for him, the bucking and all of that. And I, I thought, uh, 
my, my problem is I, I, I know too much. I want him to enjoy this, but I know too much. And please don't misunderstand me because a lot of times people in a context will say, well, I know too much or I know something that the average person doesn't know. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. But in that story, uh, Adrian Rogers was telling, he was saying that if we could just have childlike faith in our father, the stuff we know wouldn't matter because there's always going to be drops and there's always going to be swerves and there's always going to be those moments. But if you trust the pilot, it doesn't matter what you know, it's the rest of what you know. And when we're talking about Antichrist today, um, maybe my analogy isn't the best in the world, but I think sometimes we know, you know, we know too much, but it's not that we know too much, it's that we don't know enough of the right stuff. And we know too much of the bad stuff. I don't think knowledge should ever be a problem. Knowledge should give us perspective. But I don't think we ought to either be the kind of people that don't acknowledge difficulty. You know, the three Hebrew children, we know that our God is able to deliver us and we believe he's going to. But if he doesn't, we're still going to trust him. I think we need to have that balance in our life. But I also think that our problem is usually that we've been bitten too many times by circumstances or by people or by our own attitude. And a lot of times we say, I know too much. And again, that can be said properly. That's not what I'm talking about. But I think what that generally means when we say, I know too much, is this is not going to turn out well. This is not going to be good. These people over here don't understand what could possibly happen. And I think that's the way we view Antichrist. We, we have viewed Antichrist as equal with Jesus. We have viewed Antichrist as the one who is calling the shots. And loved ones, let me just say it. I know you know it, but I want it to get past your intellect into your spiritelect. I, I want it to become part of your heart and your very spiritual essence and soul, not just an intellectual fact. The Antichrist cannot do anything that God does not give him permission to do. He's not in charge. I mean, it matters who wins elections. We know that. We've said that elections have consequences. It always matters who's in the White House. It always matters who's in Congress. Always matters who sits as judges. Always matters who sits in the governor's mansion. All of that always matters. But none of that, none of that puts God in a situation where he's got to figure a way out of the mess. And I think what we need to do when we look at Antichrist, we need to know everything we can about Antichrist. Paul said, You know, speaking of the enemy, he said, we are not ignorant of his devices. We need to, we need to be certain. And, and the next couple of weeks after today, I want to talk to you about issues of confidence. Um, Well, mostly two weeks from today is about confidence, but I would ask you this. Do you really have confidence that God has your life under control? Do you really believe that all things work together for good and, are, and that uh, for, for those who are called according to his purpose. 
I know we know that. I don't think there'd be anybody here or anyone listening online that would say, no, I, I know it's in the Bible, but I don't believe it. It's a matter not just of believing it. I know we believe it, but can we bring it to a level of confidence that we begin to live by it? That's the challenge that's before us. Um, years ago, when we were going through, Ramon and I were going through one of the toughest times of our life, the toughest time of our life to that point, I think. Um, we were going through a very, very difficult place. And um, the kids were too little to even know what was going on. But Ramona and I were praying. We were looking to God for an absolute miracle. And, and, I, and I had a dream that I, I don't know if I was a, asleep and I was dreaming or if I was awake, it was a vision. But it was one of the most graphic things I'd ever seen. And um, it was a refiner's fire. I saw a refiner's fire like where metals are being refined, you know, and silver and gold are being cleansed and the dross was being taken away. And I was, as I saw this, I was up close. I was amazed with the intensity of the fire. And I, as I moved back, I saw that the, the uh, smelter was doing the billows to keep the wind going, to keep the flame at a certain height and a certain temperature. And, as, and it was like a camera rolling back. As it rolled back, I saw that the one who sat at the, the billows was the Lord Jesus Christ. I knew that it was God. And um, I, I knew it was him. But the thing that I noticed is he never took his eyes off the fire. I would have thought he'd look at me and say, glad you dropped in. Would you like some tea? You know, but it was like I wasn't there. And then I suddenly realized that I was the metal in the refiner. It was me that he was putting the heat on. And but the amazing thing about it, and there's more I could tell, but time won't permit. The amazing thing is that he was bent over doing the billows and he never took his eye off of the fire. And that was described in Malachi chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. You don't need to turn to it. I'm not going to read it. But in Malachi, God spoke through the prophet to the people of Israel. And he said, God is a refiner. And he's a refiner of silver and gold. In other words, Israel, I will send you through affliction. I will send you through difficulty. They had just come through um, banishment to another land. They had just come back and they were trying to get their orientation. They were trying to reestablish themselves as a nation. He said, and I am a refiner that has put you through fire to heat you to an unbelievable heat, but it's to purify the gold and silver. And he says to the people of Malachi's day, trust me because I am your refiner and I'm in control. And then I read in... Um, um, that was Malachi 2. When I read in Revelation 3, I believe it's verse 18, he's speaking to the church at Laodicea. And the church at Laodicea was one of two churches that he had really nothing good to say about them. He said, listen to me, I'm offering you an opportunity to buy of me gold and silver that has been refined. It, now, the, the, the metaphor he was using he was saying, you have not fulfilled any purpose. He said, you're like water that is neither hot nor cold. 
See, Laodicea was one of the cities of that area. It was unusual. They had no source of water for themselves. They had no natural source of water. So they could get water from Colossae. And um, my mind, I'm forgetting the other town. They brought water in via aqueduct. And one place provided very cool water. And one place provided water from a hot spring. So the water started out very, very cold or very, very hot. And one of the problems that Laodicea had is, is that by the time they got the water, it would have to be set aside and cooled or it would have to be reheated because it was lukewarm. It did not serve the purpose of hot water. It did not serve the purpose of cold water. So even after they got it, the water, other than, I mean, they had to drink, of course, but it was basically useless to us. And God was saying, that's the way your life is. You survive, but your life has been useless because you're neither cold nor hot. And he says, you've let that reflect in your service to me. You, you're not cold or hot. He said, so I, I'll just spew you out of my mouth. And boy, I grew up with that meaning if you weren't on fire for God. How? How? On fire for God. He was, you, it, was, it was called lukewarmness, the sin that makes God vomit. And boy, I tell you what, I grew up. If you weren't hot, you were about to get hot because you were about to go to hell. And that was, but that's, that's not what that passage means at all. Um, we don't go to heaven because we're hot and we don't go to hell because we're lukewarm. Uh, he said, he said, just like your water problem, he says, you don't understand that you are living your life in such a way you have no effect. Anything you do, something else has to be done. Just like something else has to be done to the water. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to buy of me gold and silver that has been refined. And loved ones, if I had about 20 minutes, I could go into detail, but I don't have 20 minutes for detail. But what Jesus was saying that was this. He says, you, he says, you are almost pointless in your Christian existence. And he said, but if you will allow me to sit in your life as a refiner, if you will allow me to get the flames going so that you have a purpose he said, then you will have a gold and silver in your life that is beyond value. See, I think most of us, and this, it, you're going to say, I thought we were talking about Antichrist. This is, this is my lead in, okay? But most of us, in the last couple of years, I say most of us, most, I think I could say most Westerners, not just Christians, but it's been so hard to be focused on the task. It's so hard to be focused on ministry. And, and again, I do not believe this is true of you. I believe it's true of some of us. I don't want you to accept this as a rebuke of the church, but I think it is a rebuke of our society. Our comfort zone has been so shaken and so eaten away at. The fringe has been so consumed and devoured that we are in a situation where we just, we want things to get back to where we're being served. You know, I, I, I drove through a place last night and I said, how, how hard is it to get a slaw dog? You know, you know, you're going to sell slaw dogs all day long, but you don't have any ready. You know, it, we, we're ready to be served again. 
And what it does is it desensitizes. It desensitizes. And so we got to be careful. And uh, like me and Jeremy on the airplane, I've, I've got to either take the approach that says, well, if you knew what I knew, you wouldn't be so happy right now. Or we've got to take the approach that I have a father who was in charge of everything. He's in charge of your medical reports. He's in charge of the IRS. He's in charge of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. He's in charge of uh, the Taliban. He's in charge of everything. Now that doesn't mean he's responsible for the actions of those groups. But I'm saying we are in a setting where we need to remember God is in control. He's in control. The big theological question today is, well, God's in control, but he's not in charge. Or God's in charge, but he's not in control. God is so powerful and so awesome that he is both in charge and in control, even though he accommodates our rebellion and our failures. We do not have a power shortage in heaven. We do not have a control issue with God. We do not have a Lord that says, well, I'd like to help you if I could, but you know, I'm going to have to kill some folks first. You know, no, that's our solution. You know, no, he, he's like, Lord, da, 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 da. And the Lord says, yes, I know. I was, I was literally, I was praying about some things the other day that were just eating me alive. And, and, and I, I was so frustrated and I was trying to be reverential and I was trying to be frustrated. And I said, Lord, what, what do I do about this? He said, you've been reading this for years. You have a plan. This isn't new. I told you this was going to happen. Paul said these attitudes were going to arise. What, what's the part that's thrown you off? I mean, really, what's the part that's thrown you off? And I said, I can tell you the part that's thrown me off. Thank you. This is supposed to happen to third world countries where I can pray for them in comfort here. It's not supposed to happen here. And he, he knew that I was being a little sarcastic at myself. Um, I, I, everything that I was upset about, the Lord has warned us in Scripture. It's been in Scripture for 2,000 years. There are other things we've talked That's why I want to give an update about the long emergency. We talked about things that would happen in September of 2008. And we said it's going to happen. And we said, all right. And then we, now that it's happening, we're in absolute panic mode. Is God dead? Is God on vacation? You know, what happened? And what we must do is understand that God is in control and God is in charge. And whatever the devil does, God may not endorse it. God may not approve of it. But God has the devil on a leash. Well, we're going to talk more about that. I want us to understand something about Antichrist. Um, in, in, there, are, there is so much teaching on Antichrist that it's confusing and it seems conflicting. Some say Antichrist is a person, you know, an individual. Some say, no, 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 Antichrist is not an individual. Antichrist is a teaching. It's a, it's a group of false teachers and they teach the Antichrist doctrine. And Paul even said that there were doctrines of demons that were taught. 
<coughs> Others have said, no, it's just an atmosphere. It's just the spirit of the age. And so what happens, we get confused because um, we hear some teachers say, well, Antichrist is a person and that person is coming. My parents told me that in their early years of marriage, they were told uh, Sunday after Sunday that Benito Mussolini was the Antichrist. And they said, it, we believed it. He was acting like the Antichrist. And then when Hitler came along, the pastor changed his teaching. Well, Benito's not the, the Antichrist. He's the forerunner of the Antichrist. Hitler's got to be the Antichrist. Then it went from that to Stalin. And um, then it went from that to, to John Kennedy when he was assassinated. Because uh, we, I remember going to church to have a man show us. He said, I'm going to prove to you tonight that uh, John Kennedy's the Antichrist. And he, because Antichrist receives a wound to the head. And I've got proof that John Kennedy is being held on life support on an island. And after all, he's a Catholic, you know, you know the way those Catholics are. So he's Antichrist. And at the right moment, we're going to see John Kennedy raised from the dead and he will rule the world as Antichrist. Well, he brought the, he brought the, I mean, I, I was amazed. I was like nine years old. I was amazed that he had proof that John Kennedy was the Antichrist on an island. And he brought this picture that was so vague and so, so sketchy. And we were already compromising with hell to allow a, sli a, a slide projector in church because that, that was almost a movie, you know. And uh, it was just cloud and then a little island. He said, there it is, folks. John Kennedy's right there on that island. This is proof. Well, it wasn't proof to me. It looked like somebody had dropped maybe some eggs on a, a blue plate or something. And I was so disappointed. But... Then, then they shifted to, uh, to Ronald Reagan because his problem, he says, nothing good ever comes out of California. It's like Nazareth. <laughs> and nothing good ever comes out of Hollywood. And they might have been right about that. I don't know. But they said, and look at his name, Ronald Wilson Reagan, 666. <laughs> and it went from that to Kissinger because Kissinger was from Europe. And I, it's, it's been interesting how many, I thought about writing a book called Antichrist I Have Known. But uh, <laughs> the, the bad thing, listen to me, loved ones. You say, I, I start to say I'm not making fun. I am making fun, but I'm, I'm making fun of us. I'm making fun of the church, poking fun at all of us because we've all had suspicions. The bad thing is that we've produced such bad teaching about Antichrist that now nobody takes us seriously. I want you to know Antichrist is real. And one of the real challenges for the church of the Lord Jesus today is to understand Antichrist is real and Antichrist is coming. The good side of those errors is that to the church's credit, we've known Antichrist is coming and I don't think there's been a generation of Christians ever in the history of the church that didn't believe Antichrist was coming. 
We've been aware of this conflict of the ages between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. We've been aware of that. And that's why, it, don't, don't make fun of them. I mean, I, I just poke fun at me and my, and my group. Don't make fun of them by, because they said in 1483 that Jesus is coming back in our lifetime. No, don't make fun of them because the Spirit of God has told us to live in expectancy of Christ's return. And every generation before us has done that. We've lived in expectancy of Christ's return. Now, I, I, I think we need to, to honor those that have gone before us. I think we need to be skeptical of those that have gone the wrong direction. And we need to try to wrap our arms around what does the Bible really say about Antichrist? Um, and you say, well, pastor, I'm so confused. Is it just a spirit? Is it just a person? Is it a group of teachers? And the answer to that is yes. It, it is. There, Antichrist in three parts. John will tell us, we'll read it in a moment, that there are false teachers of Antichrist. He said, and there, out of those false teachers will emerge the Antichrist, a person, possibly two people. Antichrist may be two, but we'll talk about that in just a moment. We're not going to be able to study all the ramifications of Revelation today. But he says, certainly there is a spiritual climate. There is a spirit at work in the world that is Antichrist. And the reason Antichrist is so hard to pin down is because he may be manifested. There are people that we are sure are Antichrist because they're walking in the spirit of Antichrist. Antiochus Epiphanes was one. Nero may have been one. I think Hitler was certainly walking in the spirit of Antichrist. I think Stalin and Mao Zedong was, although I don't think the Antichrist will be Chinese. I think they operated in the spirit of Antichrist. And it's no wonder to me, it's no wonder to me that the church has identified people like that as the Antichrist. It's not because they're stupid. It's not because they're theologically inept. It's because they recognize a spirit in the world. And there are people that latch on to that spirit and they look like Antichrist. They really do. They, they really look like Antichrist. I had a friend that served as a, a missionary in the Far East, and he was in and out of China a lot. He said, I tell you the mistake that we made. He said, we went in as Western missionaries to China, and, and um, they said, we, we are concerned about Antichrist. And he said, we told them, well, the church is going to be raptured, and you won't ever have to worry about Antichrist. And that brought them a sense of relief and peace. And he said, when World War II began, and you had things like the rape of Nanking, and then you had the communists that drove out Chiang Kai-shek and won control of mainland China. They said for a couple of decades, the Chinese church had little confidence in the Western church. And, they, and the reason was you told us we don't have to worry about Antichrist and Antichrist lives in our country. And those, you say, well, they were wrong. The Chinese weren't wrong. They understood something we have never had to face here in America. And that is that the spirit of Antichrist permeates generations. And some people that we laugh at for saying this is Antichrist, 
The fact is they may be right. This person is the spirit of Antichrist. This person is a forerunner of Antichrist. Do you know that Jesus in Matthew, he said that there's going to be an abomination of desolation. There's going to be a desecration of the holy place. He said Daniel wrote about it. Well, you say, well, yeah, that's, yeah, Jesus, we, we trust Jesus. But do you know that Jesus was talking about a future event that was based on a prophecy that had already been fulfilled? During the, the Grecian reign, Antiochus Epiphanes, I think, I think hands down, Jewish scholars said uh, what Daniel prophesied was fulfilled in one, boy, I'm forgetting, 163 or 168 BC, something like that. Antiochus Epiphanes slaughtered the hogs on the altar, desecrated the temple, did everything that he could possibly do evil to the temple. And it was accepted as this is what Daniel prophesied. This is exactly in the timeline Daniel prophesied. And Jesus said, you know what Daniel wrote about? And they said, oh yeah. And he said, it's going to happen again. In other words, from our point of view, Jesus was saying Antiochus was operating in the spirit of Antichrist, but he's not the Antichrist. Now, we've got to wrap our heads around this, and it's a little difficult. So let's read the three places in Scripture. Now, he goes by a lot of other names. I don't mean to confuse you. Are we okay? Everybody with me? Okay. Um, he goes by uh, the lawless one, the son of perdition. False Messiah, false prophet or false prophets, the son of perdition, when I said that, a uh, man of sin, the beast, and uh, maybe the false prophet of the beast. Um, but the name Antichrist, at least in most um, translations, it only appears three times. Um, and it's used by John. 1 John 2.18, children, it is the last hour. See, he doesn't just say it's the last times. He says, we're down in the last hours. He says, we're, we're, we're closer to the end than you might think. And just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. For this is how we know it's the last hour. I think putting it, all the Antichrist verses together the context of what John was saying. He said, one of the reasons we know we're getting close to the time for the Lord's return is the proliferation of antichrists. Okay. Then he says in his second epistle, verse seven, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and antichrist. Okay. Then 1 John 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not Jesus confess Jesus is not from God. See, we've got a lot of people that will knock on our door and say, oh yes, we're Christians. We just have a different slant on some things, but we're Christians. But I want to tell you this, some of them may be Christians and we praise God for that. Praise God for every Christian, EE or whatever's going from door to door. But just because someone comes to you and says, oh yes, we believe in Jesus. They don't always explain to you what they believe about Jesus. And I will tell you this, no matter what a group of people do right, if they're wrong about Jesus, they're wrong about everything. 
Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming and now is already in the world. Now I want to talk to you about three things and I'm going to do it um, as quickly as I'm able today. Uh, the last thing I want to do is talk to you about Antichrist at work and what we can do to battle him. I want to talk to you about his goals because we really need to understand what he's after. But first, let's spend about five minutes or so on the traits of Antichrist. Maybe not even that long. We need to know what Antichrist looks like. What does the enemy look like? And Paul tells us to do this. He says, now you're not ignorant of his devices. He's talking about Satan. He said, we're not ignorant of his, his devices. We know the kind of things that he does. We know his threefold plan from Genesis 3. And he said, you've lived long enough to know how the enemy tries to divide and conquer and, and, um, and, and uh, devolve you uh, uh, from true faith. Um, but let's, let's talk a little bit about Antichrist. Antichrist means two things. Antichrist in some contexts means instead of. And then in other contexts, it means against. In other words, there are some scriptures about Antichrist that indicate he is more political than anything else. I will, I will offer a, a, a different approach to life. Um, you know, right now we hear, and I'm, and I'm not saying it's good, bad, or ugly, but right now we hear it over and over again, follow the science. Just, just follow the science. Well, there's going to come a man that, uh, and, and the, the first person that I heard say, follow the science, w went on to say, prayers don't put COVID in its place. Vaccines do. And I, I, I don't think everybody that says follow the science means that, not by any stretch of the imagination. But what I'm trying to say is Antichrist will arrive at a time where it is, has been mastered the idea of this is what you followed in the past. Now follow this. And I'm not trying to make science the, uh, the Antichrist. What I'm trying to say is um, in some instances when Antichrist rises, it will be, look, instead of this, do this. And it will seem innocuous. It will seem, it will seem logical. But there are other times that Antichrist will be against. In other words, he's not just saying, well, try this instead of this. He's saying we are against this. And, and, and some things... He will be seen as try this instead of Jesus or all religions or a right path to heaven if there is a heaven. But in other instances, he will be aggressively against the Christian faith. So he's going to walk down both, both paths. Okay. Um, and again, when I say, when I use science as an example, that was just an example. The enemy will give us substitutes and the enemy will give us uh, subterfuge and he will be a relentless enemy of Christianity. Um, one of the scientists that's not a believer that I respect more than just about any other non-Christian scientist, he said, uh, you know, he said, I, I really want to believe in God. And I heard him say that and I thought, wow, we, we may be onto something. He said, and the only reason I don't believe in God he said there are some difficulties, but the thing that sealed it for me, the reason I don't believe in God, he says, we live in a universe that has so many ways it's trying to kill us. So if, if God created the universe, he's doing his dead level best to kill us all. 
And I thought, you haven't seen God's dead level best. No, if he wanted to kill us, we'd be dead. But you, you know what his problem is? He's, he's a great guy. I, I'd love to hear him talk. But his problem is he doesn't understand mankind from a theological perspective. He only understands man from a scientific perspective. And what he says is, those of you that are religious, it's fine. It can be a, a, a leaning post, which is another word for a crutch. It can be a leaning post in your life to help you through difficult times. But he said, uh, I say follow the science. And that's when science becomes an enemy of faith instead of... Uh, I personally believe the day will come when Jesus returns and he begins to rule and reign. We will see that true science and true theology don't contradict at all. But we are a long way from that right now. Okay. Um, I also want you to understand there is a satanic trinity. Just like there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is Satan, there is the beast, and there is the false prophet. Uh, Satan is all through the scripture, but the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet are the way this satanic trinity are portrayed in the book of Revelation. Now, let me say something that I always want to be sure that I say when I talk about you got a holy trinity and an unholy trinity. This is not the battle of the ages. They are not equal. God has no equal. God the Father has no equal. God the Son has no equal. God the Spirit has no equal. We are not, this is not Star Wars where the devil is Darth Vader and Jesus is Obi-Wan Kenobi or Luke Skywalker and, and you got the dark side and the good side and we just, you know, don't cave into the dark because then the dark wins. No, this fight is fixed. Satan's getting the snot knocked out of him even as we speak right now. But we have to understand it, he will rise to a point where he seems to control the world before it is over, and just when he is at his height, God does that or something like it. And the angels proclaim the kingdom of this world, Babylon, its system, is now the kingdom of our God and his Christ. All a devil's, uh, all an angel has to do is just announce what's taking place. We are going to win, but we must not stick our head in the sand and say that he's not real. We must not ignore the, the serpent. We must, we must not uh, treat Antichrist casually. Now, Jesus spoke of false Christs in particular, and he spoke of Daniel's reference uh, in particular, uh, as, as we talked about. But this is what I want to leave you with on this first point. The reason we sometimes are confused about Antichrist now, there's the obvious is because about every 80 years we name a new antichrist. You know, whether it's a pope or a preacher or a politician or a general, we just keep naming new antichrist. And it's not that that necessarily is a wrong designation, but they are spirit driven, spirit of antichrist men or women. They are not the antichrist, but antichrist is a person Antichrist is a collection of teachers, and Antichrist is a spirit that is in all the world. Now, what are the goals of Antichrist? He's a real person, and he's got real goals. He's got real goals. Number one, 
His first goal is destruction and damnation. Now Jesus was talking about Satan who is the serpent, but the, but the agenda of the serpent carries forward to Antichrist. And Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly, but the enemy comes to kill and steal and destroy. That's the agenda of Antichrist. Uh, when, when, uh, I, I am amazed that even Christians that are saying, if God loved us, why does he allow children to be abused? Why does he allow our women to be raped? God has nothing to do with that. That's the agenda of hell. Kill, steal, destroy. God is not uh, responsible for any of that. That's all the work of the enemy and our hearts that have been surrendered to him. Destruction and damnation. And this is one of my favorite scriptures in the New Testament. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest. This is why he came. And you can complete it, if you know it, to give me a bigger car. To give me more income. No, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest. To destroy the works of the wicked one. That's why Jesus came. To destroy the works of the wicked one. So he is into destruction and damnation. But he is also, that's in the world, that can happen in any format. But he is also into defection. To those of us that are rooted in the church and, and have faith in Christ, He wants us to defect. To those that maybe have not made a complete decision. There may be folks in church every Sunday, maybe folks here every Sunday, that you, you want to follow the Lord, you're interested, you're a, you're a pursuer of truth, but you haven't made that distinction. The spirit of Antichrist exists to pull you away from your, from your growing faith and your growing decision to follow him. Uh, Paul said that a great falling away was coming. He said this to, to uh, Timothy and in his letter to the Thessalonians, Peter and John shared the same teaching and he'll do that. He'll affect that defection by delusion. Second Timothy three, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self. I mean, he starts on this. How does, it, how does this little man have this such lung capacity to spout out this list in one sentence? It's amazing. In the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And he said they will hold to a form of godliness but deny its power. He says avoid them. And that means don't watch them every week. It means stop going, buying their books. We need a Holy Ghost discernment. You say, Pastor, you're just saying you're right. Yes. No, I think we know the difference between, and, and anybody can, between truth and error. And I want to say this, anybody can be in error. Anybody can be wrong about something. Don't be afraid of a pastor or a teacher that says, you know, I used to teach this, but the more I've studied, I think this may be more in line. There's a difference between being in error and having a spirit of error. 
A spirit of error leads people to destruction. It leads people to damnation. It leads people to death. And that's the hallmark. Every teacher, every Christian, every daddy, every mommy, every school, has, is, has a, they have a curriculum, but then they have an overarching identity. What do we produce by the things that we teach? This is what he wrote to the Thessalonians. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure. Loved ones, I want to tell you, the wonderful teachings that we embrace that shake you from your composure, that's the first indicator you're not drinking from the fountain of peace. Don't be disturbed either by a spirit, that means like a prophetic word, don't be disturbed by a message, you know, a sermon. Don't be disturbed by a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you for that day will not come. The day of the Lord, the, the, the time of revelation, the time of Jacob's trouble, that time will not come unless apostasy, the apostasy, the falling away comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God. See, this can't be a spirit, not with this specificity. This can't be a group, not with this specificity. Exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship <coughs> so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God. He said, do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you about these things? <coughs> now what Paul says is this, you've been taught that the day of the Lord's already here and that the great eschaton is already being issued in. And you're saying, where are the, where are the, our loved ones that were supposed to be resurrected? Where is the kingdom of God that was going to set everything right? Nothing's happening and everything's out of control. He says, there will always be days that are out of control. There will always be seasons that seem to belong to Satan. But he said, that day in which Antichrist rules will not occur until he is revealed. And he says something else has to happen. He says he's got to present himself as, a, as, as God. And if we're interpreting this right, um, we're, now I know that when the temple was destroyed in AD 70, there was a lot of desecration, but nothing like this went on from the invasion of Titus and his army. When the, when the temple was destroyed in AD 70, nothing like this happened. It wasn't nearly like it was in the days of uh, Antiochus Epiphanes so over 200 years before that. But this is going to be something that is so profound, the, the agenda of this man of sin will be revealed and people will understand he's, he's claiming to be God. Now he says, but something else has to happen. He can't be revealed until the restraining force is moved out of the way. Okay? He said, and you know what restrains, verse 6, what restrains him now so that in his time he will be revealed. In other words, he's saying he's not revealed yet because he's being restrained. It's like a hand's on his shoulder. He can't rise up. He's being restrained. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. In other words, he said, you can see the spirit of this man all over the place. John said there are false prophets of this man all over the place, but this man has not arisen yet 
because one who restrains will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. He says, now when the restrainer is taken out of the way, then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. See, he's a antichrist. Antichrist is going to be revealed. Yep, and as soon as he's revealed, Jesus squashes him. I don't mean as soon as like that moment, but that begins a countdown of just a few months. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. Now I want to stop there and interrupt myself one more time. You say, well, I know what the restraining is. We, we don't know what the restraining is element is. We, we have three pretty good ideas. Um, I, th I think the weakest view is that the Holy Spirit's taken out of the world and the Holy Spirit's taken out and then Antichrist is turned loose. Um, the problem with that is when you read the book of Revelation, the Spirit of God's very active. He is very active. I don't see there being a moment that the Holy Spirit is taken out of the world. And um, so I think that's the weakest view. The next view is that the church is the restraining element. And those, those in the family of faith that believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, we, the thing that's holding Satan in his place is the church. And when the rapture occurs, then Satan will be turned loose and there will be no restraining element. Now that has a little more to, to speak to it because we do know that we are hinderers of evil. We do know that we are preservers and we are light givers. Jesus said, you are the light of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. So there is a real sense in which Christians act as hinderers and restrainers. Um, and, and it's a principle of life. You know, the, even the Old Testament says that when a wicked king is in charge, Horrible things happen, but when a godly king comes to the throne, then there is peace throughout the land, or, or that's ideally what should happen. There's a third view, and, and, and it's possible. It's possible that uh, this has to do with the rapture of the church and the exposure of Antichrist. Um, it, it is possible. Uh, my view, which I could be wrong. I, I, know, I know that I could be wrong. I think this is a phrase where Paul is just saying, look, none of this is going to happen until God lifts his hand. I, I don't think he's saying the Holy Spirit's going to be taken out. I, I don't think he's saying when the rapture of the church occurs, this is going to happen. He could be. There is a case for that. But I think when you read it just at, at pure surface, I think what he's saying is, listen, don't worry. This is not going to happen until God lifts his hand. The restraining hand is lifted and then this will happen. You say, well, which one do I believe? Whichever one you want to. Just believe in Jesus and you get, you get a choice. This is a multiple choice, okay? The Jesus question is not multiple choice, okay? We don't know what the restraining element is, but we do know this. When the restraining element is lifted, something very serious happens. He says in verse 10, because they did not receive the love of the truth to be saved, for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe, King James says, what, believe a lie uh, or believe what is false in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth, but who took pleasure in wickedness. 
You see, loved ones, there is a man coming that when he is allowed to rule, he will delude, he will deceive, he will make the world as confused as a termite and a yo-yo. And we need to understand this is a real spiritual power that is coming. Now, <clears throat> there's, let's, let's wrap it up by talking about Antichrist himself and then go to our life lessons. We'll hurry. Number one, we've learned there is the spirit of Antichrist. He said, 1 John 4, 3, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. You've heard it's coming and it's already in the world. Uh, John wrote these epistles, as best we can tell, between AD 88 and AD 94. Way back then, he said, this spirit is already in the world. Paul put it this way when he wrote to the Ephesians some 30 years before that, he, or, or 35 years before that, he said, this is the spirit that is already at work in the children of disobedience. The spirit of Antichrist is in the world. When you see the trends that society are following, you say, how could somebody be so blind? How could somebody be so deceived? Because of the spirit of Antichrist. There are false teachers of Antichrist. He said, 1 John 2, 18, you've heard that Antichrist is coming. There have been many Antichrist forerunners that have appeared. He says, there are, he defines them as false prophets and false teachers. There's false teachers of Antichrist. There's the spirit of Antichrist. But loved ones, we must understand this. The day is coming. I don't know how far off it will be. I don't think that it would be far. I, I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to preach a 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 1988. I, I don't think we need to do that kind of thing. There were, there were some silly doctrines that came from that. And there, I know some good men and women of God that believe that with all their heart, but they were wrong. It's not our job to set a date, but it is our job to make a proclamation. And Antichrist himself is coming. Antichrist singular in 1 John 2, 18 is coming. Paul taught it, Peter taught it, John taught it. He's real, he seeks to destroy, damn, cause uh, defection and delusion. And we will see him in the book of Revelation manifested as the dragon, which is Satan, the, the, uh, the beast, which is the Antichrist himself, and then the false prophet of Antichrist, which is like a partner and like a PR man, as far as we can tell. Now, what do we do with this? Okay, let's, let's wrap this up with three statements. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And this is what I'm asking you for. I'm not asking you to, to, I'm not asking you to read more. I'm not referring you to a book except scripture. I'm not saying you need to go listen to this set of teachings, whether it's mine or somebody else's. It's okay to do that as long as you are a Berean. A Berean, it says, they search the scriptures to see if what they were hearing was true. Um, if, you, if you have a Berean's heart, I, you're, you're okay to read, but we need to, we need to wrap our heads around three things. Number one, we need to understand the significance of the carnal mind. Every one of us, especially those of us that have not accepted the Lordship of Christ, we need to realize that our natural mind falls away from the things of God. The, it's the carnal mind. It falls away from the things of God. We are, we are, before we know Jesus, there is the spirit of disobedience. I, I don't mean to be offensive to you. You may be a nice lady. 
You may be a God-fearing, tax-paying American citizen. You may coach Little League and give to the poor. But if you don't know Jesus, there is a spirit of disobedience that has taken up root in your life. And it gives you what's called the carnal mind. When Paul was trying to talk about what it means to be spiritual, um, one, of the, one of the descriptive phrases that he gave to help us understand what it means to be spiritual is to have a mind that has been transformed and given over to the Word. Because this is what he said. He said, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It's never even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. Now, we used to sing that song, you know, God's going to say... We, have, we can't imagine what all God's going to do. And I think that's true, but that's not what it means. He says, you set your expectations of how to be saved. You set your expectations of heaven. You set your expectations of how to be right. You set your expectations of how this is all going to play out. And this is what Paul said. Your eye has never seen anything like this. Your ear has never heard anything like this. And then he says, it's not even entered into your heart, your wildest dreams. What's in the kingdom of God? And we say, ooh, won't it be wonderful there? But finish the sentence. But God has revealed these things to you by his spirit. See, it's not talking about how wonderful heaven's going to be. I, I don't think we can conceive possibly how wonderful heaven will be. But that's not what that verse of Scripture is about. Paul was saying, you don't even understand the truth about sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what Jesus said in John. You can't understand basic theology unless it's revealed to you by the Spirit of God. So don't trust your carnal mind. See, th think about how silly you sound when you say, well, that's not fair. Or if God was good, it's like saying if banana pudding was sweet. No, no. the moment we start qualifying, well, you know, I, I had a guy tell me, he said, if, if there is a God and if what you tell me is true, then I wouldn't serve him. I said, why not? Have I done a, you know, I thought, have I done a poor job? He said, who is God that he thinks he has the right to judge me? And I thought, that answers itself. But you know what? That's why I say, unless the Holy Spirit shows you your heart, you'll never even believe you're a sinner. Unless the Holy Spirit shows you the grace of God, you'll never believe you need a Savior. Somebody asked, uh, 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 um, President Trump, back when he was making a, his first profession of faith in Christ, and, and I really hope he has. I, I really, I, I, he's, he's, I, I really hope he is a Christian. But somebody said, what sin did you have to ask him? And his attitude was, I can't really think of anything. And I thought, well, he may be a Christian, but he needs Sunday school class. <laughs> Whoever prayed with him needs to go into a little more detail. I can't really think of anything. No, 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 no. That's the carnal mind. And I, I'm, not, I'm not speaking ill of, of our former president. I'm just saying the, the highest and, and noblest among us have to become his little children.
Here's number two. Understand the significance of demonic deception. Understand that if you continue to rely on the carnal mind, it's just a matter of time until demonic deception takes you deeper down the road and your error becomes reinforced error. Loved ones, don't get caught. Don't put Jesus on hold because of side issues. Don't put the truth of Scripture on hold while you're trying to figure out if it's a flat earth or a round earth. All of this garbage is just distraction. It doesn't matter. It's not a hoot in hell worth of difference. And I, that's, I'm not cussing. My, my grandmother explained to me that all the weeping and wailing in hell, that'd just be a little hoot, you know? She, I, I want you to understand, we get so caught up in things that, I'm not saying they don't matter, but I'm saying that they are not of the same consequence. See, that's why we keep hammering about abortion. People say, well, you know, you, you preach against abortion, but we have this problem and this problem. We do, but this problem and this problem don't, don't even begin to measure up to what we're doing to the unborn. Our goal is to fix all the problems, not ignore the big problem because we've got small problems. I'm sorry. We, we, we are unapologetically pro-life. Let me give you the last thing. Let me give you the last thing. Understand the significance of being given over to a lie. We are in an age when, when we need to understand that it's fashionable for your truth to be the truth. It's fashionable. But the problem is this. There's a progression in Scripture. And again, we can all be wrong about things. We all are wrong about things. That's not what I'm talking about. There, there, are, there are doctrinal slants that I had 20 years ago. The more I've studied, I said, no, I think, I think I'd rather go this way with that. I think this is more true. There's nothing wrong with being wrong as long as you have a heart that can be corrected. But if you put your trust in the carnal mind and then you allow a demonic deception to take root, please understand that you are in a dangerous proximity of being given over to a lie. That's in 2 Thessalonians 2. It's in Romans chapter 1. After, after a consistent stiff arming of the Spirit of God, it is possible for you to be given over to a lie and be damned. Yes. Now you say, well, you're saying God can't save me? If I... No, this isn't the unpardonable sin. But I'll tell you this. When you are given over to a lie, the, 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 the normal dealing of the Holy Spirit no longer works in your life. You go to the book of Revelation, and, and it's about three times in there. You know, the first part of Revelation, it's the judgment that man kind of brings on man, in my opinion. You know, the four horsemen, I think that's probably what we do, or yielding ourselves to the enemy. Uh, the, the Antichrist fuels it, but, but we do it. But when you get to the second set of judgments, the bowls, this is God's direct wrath. And you would think, I mean, I would think, uh, when God begins to deal with you directly, I would think you'd say, well, 
well, maybe I need to think about this. But you know what you find in the book of Revelation when God pours out his wrath directly? And they repented not. They cried for the rocks to fall upon them and end their lives, but they repented not. They repented not. I'm not saying that God can't save somebody that's been given over to a lie. But I'm telling you the odds against you hearing from the Holy Spirit become exponentially lessened. That's why I tell you, I know people get mad at me sometimes and I, I, I'm, I, I'm not thick skinned. I don't thrive on that. You know, when people get mad with me, I don't go home and say, praise God, I'm suffering for Jesus. No, it ruins my day. It ruins my week. I always feel like it's my fault. I should have said something better. I don't take, uh, you know, I, I don't take a, a go to hell attitude very well, you know. No, it's, it's horrible. I'm not, I don't thrive on this. But I want you to understand, that's why I pray with tears every week for every one of you to be able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Whether you're online or Brown Chapel or here, or you're listening on a CD somewhere, starts a eight track on a CD somewhere, you know, months from now. The wisest thing you can do is be open to the move of the Holy Spirit. Be quick to repent. Be quick to say, Lord, I may be wrong. You're not helping yourself arguing with people. You're not helping yourself, well, I won't be told how to live. Maybe, 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 maybe it's God telling you it's time to repent. I don't know what to do from here except to say this. I'm not going to be a part of an antichrist system. I'm not going to be a part of playing into a carnal mind or demonic delusion. And I'm not going to be a part of being turned over to a lie. I will spend every day on my face cleansing my heart before the Lord if I have to. But I'm, I'm not going to go forward with, 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 with an impure heart. That's what Antichrist is about. Not, not buying a piece of land in Wyoming where he can't get to you. Now don't get me wrong, I just came from Wyoming. I would love to have a piece of land in Wyoming. I mean, I, one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. But buying a, buying a refuge isn't going to solve what we're fighting right now. We've got to decide, are we going to let the spirit of Antichrist drive us and divide us? Or are we going to come together and say, we're going to work our way through this? You say, well, what do you want us to do, pastor? Well, see, that's the beauty of this. I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue except what I know God is speaking to my heart. But this is how I want us to end. I want us to end whether you do it here or take it home, I want us to end with the concept of, Lord, I'm asking you to speak to me with revelation. And I don't want it to come from Pastor Papufnik, who believes that John Kennedy really is the Antichrist and he's in the rotunda of the Capitol waiting to rise from the dead. You know, speak to me, Lord. Get back in the Word of God and get back to intimacy with God where he can talk to you. I'm, I'm gonna say it because I think it's true. 
if a lot of us, if we would take a third of the time we spend online listening to somebody, if we take a third of that time in real prayer to the Lord and say, Lord, speak to me, I think it would revolutionize our lives. I think it would revolutionize our lives.